0: Well, here I am, and I, this is Chris, and this is going to be episode one, season three. I'll tell you the name of season three. Well, you probably, you read it, you know, the name of it is already, but we'll get to that in a minute. So I, uh, I listened to the last episode of season two. Uh, back in March, what was it sixth yeah I think so, March sixth and um caught myself up as to where I left off and uh so let's uh let's try to pick the story story up again. hi, my name's Chris, and this is season three of my life and welcome to it seeking god's face <music> things that's interesting about me, uh, so I will digress for a moment, is that when it comes to commitment, I'm, I'm not so good at it. Uh, one of the topics of my life that I have steered away from are uh, stories of my, my love life. Um, I wasn't very good at it, and I um, Although I had been married for six years, it inevitably fell apart. And subsequently, I never had a relationship, a love interest, for more than probably two years. I think maybe a year or less was, was average. Um... So I just, I just wasn't good at commitment. Um, I think I was, you know, the divorce left, uh, left me a little, little gun shy. Um, and just never, never picked myself back up. So commitment, uh, you know, was an issue. And here I was contemplating getting back to Christian faith and the practice of Catholic Um, way of expressing Christianity, which would entail a commitment on my part. Um, So, and here I am. You know, see, that was 2005. I started RCIA, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, In 2006, I was received into the church in 2007. So, let's see. 2017 would have been 10 years, it's now 2021, Um, so we're looking at another four years, so it's uh, 14 years, so that's, you know, I beat the odds, so that's pretty cool. So anyway, um, after my meeting with Sister Jenny, I was pretty much ready, ready and raring to go, um, and I was informed that normally what would happen was that the individuals who were, um, were uh, working and studying to be received into the church would attend the 9 o'clock Mass and then be dismissed halfway through. So I remember um, it was in the spring after I'd met with Sister Jenny, and I think it was right after Easter. It had to have been. So I went to the 9 a.m. Mass, and I'm sitting in the back, right? And I'm sort of just kind of waiting for the dismissal. And it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And uh, so I go outside. You know, I, I still know what I'm doing. This is, That was probably the first Mass I ever actually attended, and I didn't finish it. So I go outside, I'm standing on the if you've ever been to the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament, there's a little, there's a bunch of steps, right, that lead up to the entrance. There's a little flat space before you, you get there. So I was standing in that f- flat space. And uh, a parishioner came up, and so I asked them about it. And uh, it turns out it was the, um, the wife of one of the deacons, Deacon George. And she informed me that the RCIA process was uh, over and that it would start up again at some point. The RCIA process at that point in time was functioning pretty much on uh, the school schedule. And so it may have been summer. It may have been summer. Yeah, it probably was actually. It was operating on the school schedule. So it was like a nine-month, right? Deal. Um, so I had to wait. So I had to wait. And then the irony of it all was that I had to wait at least a year to be received into the church. Now I was ready to go. You know, I'd been um, a student of the Bible and theology for many, 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 many years, although it was Protestant. Right, and there are many differences between Protestant theology and Roman Catholic theology. But I didn't feel like it would have taken me a year to get caught up to speed, right? So I started in this uh, beginning. So they're called pre-catechumen. These are people who are simply inquiring; they're not have made up their minds yet as to whether or not they want to enter the church. Um. For some, they're transitioning into the Catholic Church from another Christian denomination. Others are uh, seeking baptism for the very first time, becoming Christians for the very first time. So it was an interesting group for me to sit in and to listen to what I felt was fairly entry-level ideas that I had firmly come to terms with. There were a couple of things that I knew that I had to deal with before entering the process of becoming a Roman Catholic. Um, coming from the Protestant world, one of the big ones was the teachings of the church. And I say, when I say the church, I mean Roman Catholicism, because in reality, the church is not just Roman Catholics; it's all all those baptized believers who have been baptized. Well, you know, I don't want to limit it. The Church teaches, this is what the Church teaches, that if an individual has been baptized using the, what they call the Trinitarian formula, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then that baptism is recognized by the Church as being valid and you're a member of the body of Christ. Uh, so... I don't know why I got into that, but I did, for whatever reason. But one of the big ones for me was um, the church is... Oh, the church, right. So the church is bigger than just Roman Roman Catholicism. But when I say the church, that's what I mean, the Roman Catholic Church. It's just a nice form of shorthand. So the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church surrounding... Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? So it's the Immaculate Conception that she was born without sin, that she was assumed into heaven bodily. These are concepts that are completely foreign to Protestantism. I remember uh, as a junior higher, we were leaving the Episcopal Church, and we were going, starting to go to a Baptist church. And I remember going up to the pastor after one of the Sunday services and asking him, it's like, so how come you don't have any pictures of, you know, the Virgin Mary on the walls or anything? His response to me, as I recall, was simply, you know, why would we? She's simply the mother of Jesus like anybody Anybody's other mother would be; she's not special. We we honor her at Christmas time, right? Because she's the mother of Jesus and, and all of that. But then after that, that's basically it. And uh, and so I, you know, as a kid who knew probably nothing or close to it, I accepted that answer. The other thing that I knew I was going to have to deal with was what the Catholics, Roman Catholics call the Eucharist. And that has to do with communion. Now, for me, growing up in the Episcopal Church, I was confirmed, I had my first Holy Communion. But did I remember anything that I had to learn in order to go through that process as a child? I don't. I didn't. And so as a Baptist... You know, when we would have communion, it was once a month, and it was in the evening service, and it were, you know, it was soda crackers, basically, that were broken up into little bits, and people could take a bit of soda cracker, because it's supposed to be unleavened bread, right? And soda crackers are unleavened. Um, And then little individual dinky, dinky, dinky cups of grape juice. And it was symbolical. It was just a it was a, just a symbol, right, of that Lord's Supper. The Roman Catholic Church has a different perspective that it is sacramentally uh, that that Jesus is sacramentally present, body and blood of Christ, is present in the bre- in the bread and the wine, and that process takes place through the um, the Mass through the words of institution by the invocation of the Holy Spirit. And so that was also a departure from what I had believed up to that point. And so I just got a bunch of books on the subject and just read and read and read and read because I knew that those were going to be my big sticking points. But the rest of it I've had pretty much Come to terms with. And so, in my mind, I'm thinking, I shouldn't have to wait. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go now. But I was asked to wait. And so, I sort of said to myself, Well, God, um, if this is what you want me to do, I will be patient and I will go through this process. I will do what I have to do because ultimately, this is what you've asked me to do, and so I began that that process. And and it was cool. I mean, I met, I met a lot of great people. Many of the I, I I tend to call the people going through RCA a cohort, cohort, right? Um, whether they're baptized or unbaptized, and many of us continued on at the cathedral after that. And I don't, I can't recollect. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jump the gun a little bit here. Um, I ended up becoming a catechist and being a part of the RCI team, um, instructing people in the Catholic faith as they're either proceeding towards baptism or proceeding towards being received by the church. And I don't remember a cohort like that. That had so many people who stayed at the cathedral and kept practicing the faith. But there were just a lot of them in the group that I was with. Baptized and unbaptized. Well, eventually it rolled around um, and I started I started the classes. There were very much classes at the time. Um, it was Monday nights and uh, you know, it's it's sort of funny, in, in looking in retrospect, when I was working for UPS, there was probably no way that I could attend any of those classes, and there was no alternative that I was aware of. So the fact that I'd left UPS and, um, you know, done what I've done, that I was able to attend these classes. So that was cool. And eventually, um, I started attending the 9AM Masses and uh, would experience the dismissal um, where those of us who are participating in the RCA process, whether catechumens, which are unbaptized, or candidates, which are baptized, um, would go downstairs to discuss the readings from the Mass. Um, a Sunday Mass has uh, three basic readings and a responsorial psalm, so normally it's an old testament reading um a new testament reading that's not a gospel and then one of the four gospels it's kind of how it goes there are differences but that's basically it and we would go downstairs and and discuss them and that was actually kind of fun but but it it turned it became strange at one point um, I forget the name of the guy that was sort of leading that and it was the same person every every week. And he began telling the same stories over and over again. They were interesting to start with, but as the year progressed, it was the same stories over and over again and there was a tinge of materialism, you know, gold chains and it was just kind of different and and I wasn't a part of it but there were a group of people that um apparently went to Sister Jenny and and talked to her and um we were assigned a new person and that individual um I don't even I I, I see him every once in a while but he's not a regular attendant at the at the cathedral any longer So he went through all of that and um then in the spring of 2007 at the Easter Vigil, I was um, baptized for the third time now here's here's the funny you know part about it. So my first baptism was with the Science of mind Church, which isn't going to be something that's accepted by the Roman Catholic Church at all but I'd gone through um, confirmation and first communion, in the Episcopal Church, I was uh, um, an altar server. They didn't call them that; then they were acolytes. Um, and I, you know, I sang in the choir for a little while. And so my assumption was that I was probably rebaptized in Episcopal, uh, uh, you know, in the Episcopal Church. That was my assumption, and it would have happened. I mean, I was one years old uh, when we moved to Avenel. Well, that would have happened. That would have taken place, and I was too young to remember it. And that was my assumption, um, but I've never been able to find a baptismal certificate. Um, I tried contacting the diocese of it was, uh, I don't know the name of it, but it was based in Fresno. That's where the cathedral is for that diocese, Fresno, um, and. They were no help at all. I tried contacting the little church in to see if they had a record of it, and no one ever answered the phone, and I left a couple of messages. Um, then I was re-baptized again as a Baptist when I was in junior high, and so I contacted the Baptist church, and no one answered the phone. I left a message, never heard back. There were other things that I could have done to validate my baptism or invalidate it either way so that I would know for sure. But I didn't know what else I could do. So the Catholic Church provides for a provisional baptism. And what a provisional baptism is is basically... Um, if you're not sure or you can't prove that you were baptized, then you get rebaptized just to cover the bases, just in case, right? So it's a provisional baptism. So I got baptized again. So that was four. Wild, huh? You know, I mean, if you have ever read the Nicene Creed, you'll read that we believe in one baptism. Which we do. And here I've been baptized four four times. So the Baptist Church did not recognize my baptism uh, in the Episcopal Church, if I had one at all. The Episcopal Church didn't recognize my baptism in the Science of Mind Church. And now I can't prove anything. So there you have it. Four times. I think it's a record anyway so these things happen during what's called the Easter vigil it starts about well it starts at sundown uh, the night before Easter Saturday night and there's a big liturgy in mass that takes place with many many readings people are baptized uh, confirmed uh, received into the church at that time it's a pretty big deal and it goes pretty late at least it did when I was doing it um, it's been modified a little bit. There are many, many readings, um, and they would often get pared down to like maybe five, so it didn't go so late. But so anyway, in two thousand seven, I I entered the church, and um, you know I thought for the longest time that I would simply fill a pew, right? I'm done with getting too involved. I still had a lot to learn about what it meant to be a member of the body of Christ. Um, It's not an individual thing. Well, it is and it isn't, and at some point we'll get into that. But where I was at, at that point in time, was I just wanted to do this for myself, Right? I didn't want to get too involved, and, and so I, I I didn't. I don't remember where where I where I was. It was probably um. There's a period after Easter. It's called uh, Miss. And and uh, has to do with the mysteries of the of the faith, the mysteries of the Eucharist, the Paschal mystery. And so I think it was right at the end. So it's it's, a, it's another 50 days up to Pentecost. And then at Pentecost, we're officially done with RCIA. And I think it was at one of those last meetings that Sister Jenny came to me and said that she would like me to um, attend some trainings at the University of Sacramento, which was run by um, the Legionnaires, Catholic uh Religious order, both priests and lay people, to get my catechist certificate. Which, you know, it's interesting. Um, it was at that point that I I sort of made a deal with with God, and I'll tell you the story. So, uh, there's a story in the Bible. And it's called the Wedding at Cana. And Jesus and his mom were invited to a wedding. And uh, at some point in the wedding, well, I mean, it was more like during the reception. They were partying. And um, they ran out of wine. And so uh, the Virgin Mary Said to Jesus, "Hey, look, you know what? They've run out of wine. Can you do something?" And he was basically like, "You know, it's not my time. Don't ask me. You know, what have I to what have, what have I to do with you?" Kind of a thing. And so, Virgin Mary went to the the servants and said to them, "Do whatever he, in reference to Jesus, tells you to do." And so he basically told them to pour some water into these jugs. They were big jugs. They're ceremonial jars for cleansing. Pour them in there and then to take a, a ladle of it, of it and take it to the, the groom or the best man or whoever it was and have them taste it. And it's like the guy was like, what in the world? This is the best wine. Right? And he says, why have you reserved the best wine till the end? Because normally people do the best wine at the beginning, and then when people are kind of inebriated, they bring out the, the lesser wine, lesser quality. Right. So that's the basic story, and you can find that story in the Gospel according to St. John. So this was my deal. So I didn't know how to evaluate that. I didn't know how to discern that. Whether to say yes or no. So basically, what I said was, "Look, here's the thing." So I asked—I was—I—I I, I asked the Virgin Mary to intercede for me, and that to ask her son what to do, and that whatever I was told, I would do it. And that's a risky prayer to make, um, and it brings up a lot of issues about. Praying to someone that's not a part of God, whether it's Jesus or the Father, what have you, Holy Spirit. But in any event, that's what I did. And so that's what I was told to do. And so I did. And I went, it was a summer, it was three months, um, and I got my basic catechist certificate. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful summer. Another person who went was a part of that cohort went to those classes with me. So we were able to share that experience. It was wonderful. And then uh, so then I came back and I was able to... Um, there were some other things I had to do. I had to go on a retreat. There were some other things I had to do to, to fulfill the requirements besides the training. But once I had everything done, then there was um, a little welcoming and a ceremony, of commissioning, I guess you'd call it, and I became a a catechist and got involved in the RCIA program. And it wasn't long after that that the idea of it being a year-round program rather than based on the school year um, started trickling in, and we had a meeting, and it was decided that that's what we would do, that it's really not... A school it's not classes exactly um, and so we wanted a different model right in order to um, instruct people in the faith so we took this year-round program and I started doing that and um, because of my training I was very well equipped to prepare a lesson plan and basically I took the the Bible. And I took the Catechism of the Catholic Church and I used those two books and I created a lesson plan to talk about whatever topic it was going to be. Um And I would spend, you know, a, a good week putting it all together. I did a lot of reading and just putting down thoughts. And then usually... um that week, the weekend before Saturday or Sunday, I would sit down with my little uh, notebook and draw up a lesson plan. And I did that for like years and years and years and years. Over and over again, different classes, different topics. Uh, I, I got to the point where um, I no longer saw it as a class per se, um, but it was a time of sharing. Where I would facilitate the discussion of of a topic in regards to Christianity, especially as the Catholic Church teaches it, and it was it was very rich and rewarding for me. Um, and you know I still didn't get you know heavily involved. It was just our CIA, and but that was enough. I mean, here I was, brand new, in, in, you know, in the Roman Catholic Church, still learning my way. And then in 2011, uh, the church rolled out a new missile. So the the mass is all written out; none of it's freestyle, none of it's improvised. Um, it's all written out. And some of it's in black letters and some's in red. And the red are called rubrics, and rubric means red. So not a lot of deep thinking there. But what the rubrics are is it tells the priest or the bishop, or whoever is celebrating the Mass, how to do the right, And then the text is something they simply read. So there's this old adage that says, um, read the black and do the red, right? Okay, so in 2011, the church rolled out a new translation. The American church did English. Um, And so I had to learn some things anew, which was easier for me because, let's see, 2007, so that was like four years. But some of the people had grown up in the church and it was a bigger shift for them but that happened in 2011, <clears throat> and then I forget when it was, and I don't even remember how it came about, but I remember that uh, uh, at some point I was interested in uh, joining the choir. You know, I'd sung in choirs, um, I enjoyed singing, I thought, I thought that I had a decent uh, enough voice to be in the choir but I had never gone to the 11 o'clock mass and actually heard the choir that much. I wasn't familiar with what they sang. So I contacted uh, Rex Rolanka, who was the music director, and we set up an audition, right? And it it was a nighttime audition, well, evening, but it was during the winter, so it was dark. And it may have even been raining, I don't remember. And... It was going to be in the church, I thought. And so I walked myself down there and, um, you know, I went to the door and it was locked. And I tried a couple of doors and they were all locked. And so I, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know what's happened. Um, so I went back home. I'm like, okay, look, God, I guess this isn't something that is for me at least right now. And so then later, you know, I talked to Rex. He's like, where were you? Why didn't you, why didn't, you know, you didn't show up. And <clears throat> there was another door where the choir room is, which is in a completely different part of the building. And for some reason, that information had not been processed by my brain. So, um, as some people, if they're listening to this, they'll understand that it's a missed connection. But anyway, time went on, time went on, time went on. And I remember um, every summer the choir would take a break and Rex would put a blurb in the um, bulletin, not the bulletin, but the worship aid. Uh, Anybody interested in singing, you know, he's given auditions, contact Rex. And we were downstairs for something social, eating some food, and um, Rex Rick, Rick says to me, he says, uh, holding up the bullet, and he says, you know, this has your name on it, and I jokingly took it, and I looked at it, and I said, huh, I don't see my name anywhere, and I handed it back to him. So it was, a, you know, it was a, uh, a while bit later that eventually um, I did audition and became a chorister, in the choir of the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament. And that was quite challenging. We sang what I considered to be difficult uh, music from the 1500s and 1700s and contemporary. And it was, uh, you know, it was tough. One of the things that was tough about it, of course, was I didn't know how to read the bass clef um, and I was a baritone, and so that was my, my music was written in the in the bass clef and when I was in school, um, when I first started learning music, and believe it was right around the third grade, and I took up the uh, the French horn and it's a beautiful instrument absolutely beautiful but it uses a a mouthpiece it's a, almost the same size as a trumpet it's fairly small and i simply had trouble making making that work and producing a decent tone so i graduated to a larger instrument called the baritone horn which is almost as big as me i remember my you know the band that i was in in avenal it was very much a marching band. And I remember my folks telling me that one time we were marching and uh, they couldn't even see me because of the horn. The horn was so big that it completely blocked all view of who I was. So I think that was pretty funny. But anyway, it's a tone that I could I could play. All the music was written in the treble clef, which is what your normal clef when you see music. So then we moved up to Auburn and... I tried out for the band in the junior high, but they had enough baritone horn players already, so there wasn't a spot for me. However, they needed a tuba, not a tuba, a sousaphone player. Big old instrument, right? Which is cool, it's enormous. And I thought, wow, that'd be fun. And he asked me if I could do it, and I said, of course. And I remember the first time I crawled inside the thing, and because you have to—I mean, it's huge. It's on a—it's on a stand, and you have to sort of work your way into it. And I looked at the music, and it was written in the bass clef, which I had never seen before, and had absolutely no idea how to read it. And um, so I—I tried—I I tried to take what I knew from playing the baritone horn and. Make that work for the sousaphone, and it and it just didn't. I hit all kinds of wrong notes, and and no one ever said anything. The band instructor never said anything, um, and it went on that way for quite some time. And so finally, I said, "Mom, look, I, I'm not going to do band anymore because I just don't like it," you know. So that was the end of my band experience. I never went back to it. I didn't do it in high school. Um, I didn't get into band ever again. Which is, you know, sad on one hand, but I went into sports, and that really was good for me at the time. In any event, I did not know how to read the bass cleft. So here I am. um, Fortunately, in the choir, um, they had some really wonderful basses um, that could sing, the bass clef and could read it and knew what they were doing. And that was, I mean, they even graduated with a degree, right, in music and singing and such. And so I asked a lot of questions. And I remember at one point, uh, Rex came to me and he said, "Have asked me, he said, "Uh, have you ever thought about taking lessons? And uh, that triggered two thoughts for me. You know, one thought was, uh, well... Either I'm really bad and he wants me to get better or I'm okay and he sees that I've got potential to be better. And, uh, you know, I took the latter one cause it made me feel a little bit better about myself and I started taking lessons. He had a, he knew some, someone who had just recently come to Sacramento who was offering lessons uh, in his apartment and I started going once a week, once a week. Once a week, once every other week? I forget now. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And it was great because I would take my music with me. If there were parts of the music I was struggling with, we would work through that. He'd help with my range, and he'd help with posture and breathing and all that stuff, right? And, um, and singing in the choir just became a joy. And I looked forward to it. It was every Wednesday night, middle of the week, um, it was a way for me to let off some stress from from work, what have you. And I just loved the music. Uh, you know, I think that my preference of music probably is more um, 15th, 16th century music, um, polyphonic, yeah, just crazy stuff. We started singing Gregorian chant, and that was rich. Um, and I love doing that, learning how to read the notation, because they don't use notes like musical notes. It's completely different. And that was a lot of fun. And I, I think it really helped me deepen my life of faith more so than just attending, you know, mass once a week. And I was still reading, reading a lot. And, um... One of the things that started to happen was a carryover from the time just prior to me reaching out to the Catholic Church. I had been reading some Orthodox literature um, on prayer and meditation, something called The Prayer of the Heart. Uh, There's a wonderful book. It's called The Way of the Pilgrim and it's 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 an aspect of Christianity that I didn't find in the Catholic Church. And so I began doing some research and I started finding information, writers that did write about Eastern spirituality, even as far as um, some things that were quasi Vedanta Hindu that became really interesting to me and and I got the sense the sense that at some point in time this was going to be my gift to the church um, that may never happen, but at some point in this season, I'm going to start picking up on it because uh, this season I have titled Seeking God's Face. And my email, and I'm not going to give you the whole thing because I don't want you sending me a bunch of emails, but my email is basically Seeker of Truth. And to me that's very important. And I'm always reading and I'm always, because I'm naturally curious about things, so when I, when I stumble on something that the Church teaches or doesn't teach, I want to learn more about it. And so I've got a whole bunch of books on a whole bunch of different things. You know, one of the often quoted sayings of St. Augustine of Hippo, who lived in the 4th century, and it comes from his Confessions, It's the saying that My heart was restless until it found its rest in thee. And you know, when I hear that, there's a finality to it. It's like, okay, now I found my rest. Now I can rest. Now I can stop. I found it. One of the challenges of the RCIA process is that when someone um, has gone... The full gamut of time, and uh, has either been baptized and received their Christian initiation, or have been received into the church. That there's a there's a feeling of graduation that they are finished, and uh, that's not it at all. It's more of a of a birth. Um, it's a start rather than a finish. And I've always wondered about you know my email name is Seeker of Truth, and that I'm always reading and I'm always seeking. I'm still seeking, right? Then I ordered another copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church with with theological commentary. And I was reading a section on the Trinity, and I came across another saying of St. Augustine, which has stuck with me, um, and it sort of supported my journey. And this was written in a, in a, in a tract by St. Augustine of Hippo on the, uh, the Gospel of John. And this is the English translation from the Latin. And it says this, We seek him in order to find him, and we seek him again after having found him. For finding him requires seeking him because he is hidden. And after having found him, We must seek him again, for he is immense. And so I get it. I get it. So I, I sought him, and I found him. Actually, he found me more than I found him. But in any event, maybe we could say it was a mutual finding. But then once I'd found him, I kept seeking. Because there's always more, you know? Not only is God immense... God is infinite. God is unknowable. You know, that what we know from him comes from revelation, that there are many people throughout the centuries who have sought the face of God. And and that's what I'm still doing. You know, even though there's a, a modicum of I'm where God wants me to be, and I'm done with that, chasing-after-God phase. that I've entered into a new phase of seeking God's face. And uh, so that's what this season is going to be about, me talking about that, talking about non-dualism, talking about people like Meister Eckhart and uh, Dionysius and Maximus the Confessor, and these are, you know, early church writers, the Desert Fathers and Um, you know, there's a saying of St. Irenaeus that God became man, that man might become God. All right, let's unpack that one, right? So uh, we're going to take a look at all these things. It's more than just sitting in a pew, you know, receiving Holy Communion. There's more to it than that. And even in the works that we do, you know, we're in Matthew 25 where we are enjoined to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and the widows and those in prison and that sort of thing, those good works. There's more to it. There's more to it than that. And so uh, hopefully we'll unpack some of these ideas and I'll share with you some more of my, my journey um, in the next few episodes to come I don't know how many episodes this will be, I uh, I don't plan that far ahead, and I tend to talk off the top of my head by me- through memory. I just had a few notes, I'm not even sure if I covered all of my notes, let me see if I did. Yeah, it looks like I did, I had two notes. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's where we're at, and um, thank you for joining me for season three. I'm working on getting some new music, and so we'll see how that goes. And um, I will see you next time. Hopefully it'll be next week. It may be every couple of weeks. It may be once a month. I'm not sure at this point. But in any event, I'm going to unpack um, my faith journey. Um, It's been 14 years, and so I've had lots of growth from being a newbie and just relishing the newness of it all and soaking it all in to learning a lot of things and having lots of questions and having lots of different experiences. So I thank you for you know sticking here. Some people may not find this interesting. That's okay. Um and I wish you well. You've been on me with me on this journey so far. Um and uh maybe we'll pick it up again when I get back. So um uh, We'll close with that, and be well, be safe, be happy, and God bless you all. Well, I see you've survived the first episode of this season, so thanks for staying with me through it all. Um, It was an introductory episode, and... I'm going to be going back through some things, uh, covering them in a little bit more detail uh, in some episodes to come. So uh, let me just let you know a little bit of the new stuff. I did find some new music. Um, The music is called After All Has Changed, and it is by Humans Win, and it was formerly uh, named Lance Conrad. I guess that's his name. He changed it to humans win and I get the music from Storyblocks it's a royalty free music which is very very nice for me um because I don't have a budget to speak of um I'm still in contact with my friend uh David Patterson from Drowning Man Productions and we talk about podcasts and sound and projects and everything and um and he's still doing uh um Oh shoot, what's the name of that podcast that he has here? let me let me just pause this real quick here. Wasting all the time, of course. How could I have forgotten? Uh, I forget all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's a cool podcast where he and um, sometimes uh, two others, sometimes three others, sometimes it's just one other. Um, they have an impromptu comedy. Uh, a podcast with a bunch of different uh, sketches. Um, it's very fun. It's pretty pretty wild. Um, so I suggest checking that out. Wasted all the time. Or wasting all the time. I don't know. Wasted all the time. It sounds like something from my past. Um, anyway, wasting all the time. Um, and uh, as, uh, as before, the show is... Uh, is produced and loosely crafted by me, um, Chris Jensen, and, um, and so I appreciate you coming along for the ride on this little amateur hour. Uh, and um, as I as I said at the end of the episode, I'll say it again: um, you know, be well, be safe, and God bless.